Welcome to Your Property Podcast with me, Ant Lyons. I'm uh, flying solo today as um, and Harrod Owen, my co-host, is off uh, having a wisdom teeth removed. So that sounds pretty brutal. I'd rather be much, much, much rather be here. And today, this is an interview I've wanted to do for ages um, and I'm genuinely really excited about it. Um, I'm catching up with an old pal of mine in property and someone I haven't really seen or spoken to that much in in a number of years because he's been off busy doing big things. Um, so today we're going to be talking about making the transition from kind of buy to let into another type of investment and uh, this is really genuinely it's kind of taking a big step up into bigger investment deals, hotels uh, specifically today. So I'm joined on the podcast by my guest today, um, joint owner, co-founder of Shepherd Cox, Nick Carlisle. So uh, hi, Nick, long time no see. Yeah, hi, Auntie. It's definitely been a while. It's probably been, I would think, six or seven years since I, since I last saw you. So I've been, I think I've been subscribing to the magazine since then. And um, yeah, it's great to, great to reconnect and it really um, is. It, it really is. And, and, you know, you, I think you were kind of, you know, you, you epitomise someone who has, I guess, I've taken advantage of different opportunities at different times in the sort of property market. <coughs> um, because when I, I last spoke with you, uh, when we first met, you were kind of big into the <coughs> side of things. And, um, and, and then you moved into sort of portfolio building of, um, BMV uh, properties, and you bought a lot of properties for yourself and for um, clients as well, didn't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I've I've been I've been in property for twenty five years, and I've done three things really predominantly. I've you know I've dabbled in a couple of other things, but the 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 HMOs, you know, we we helped clients buy a lot of HMO properties in the early days really before before a lot of people really understood hmos or or had even heard the term and then i moved into the portfolio building and and was based in yorkshire and um we bought a lot of properties specifically that our, our biggest buying period was between 2010 and 2014 and we bought 474 properties there um, <laughs> Okay, and this is for yourself and for clients, some um, investors here in the UK and overseas. Yeah, so we we were buying, we were building portfolios for clients in that model. So I I knew that market. It was where I was born. It was where I was from. It was where I bought my first property. And so, you know, we had very strong yields. We were able to buy below market value, and and there was a real sweet spot where that model was 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 optimum, really. Um, and so we, we were building these portfolios for clients that were based in the UK and, and overseas. They, they were passive investors predominantly. Now, I always think that the kind of the, the hallmark of an investor, of a successful investor, is someone who can kind of change and, and adapt as, as things change. Um, and I, I know when I first met you, I was kind of doing the, the BMV thing on single lets and the sort of back to back, you know, day one remortgages and stuff like that. And, and that changed. And, would it be very easy for me and and thousands of other people to give up at that point but um the sort of hallmark really is is being able to adapt and change so your market changed didn't it it became harder to do those kind of deals yeah so the 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 good old mortgage express same day refinance where you know you bought it on a bridge at 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 12 o'clock and at one o'clock you got 
well, you bought it on a bridge at, at 12 o'clock and at a minute past 12, you got all of your money back and often more than you put in and you owned the property. You know, that, that was, that was, that was a great model. And, and, you know, a lot of people over traded in that space and got caught out, but literally overnight, there was no warning signs, really mortgage express pulled that product and it, and it killed that specific market. And um, for, you, for you kind of the 2010 to 2014, that was a, a good time to be doing, I guess a more, more sort of tried and uh, uh, trusted sort of buy, you know, refurbish and then refinance. So, so what happened to make you make the switch away from that? Yeah, there, there were a combination of things. So the, the, the mortgage express thing was before that time. Yeah. And that, and that, the, I mean, that, Mortgage Express um, same day refinance was 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 you know something that really shouldn't have ever been around. It was just almost too good to be true. But we were buying after that, and so we were buying. We were buying at a time where there weren't a lot of buyers around. We'd just come out of the the global financial crisis, the Lehman's and and Bear Stearns and all that kind of stuff, and and so it was a very good time. To buy and we were able to buy at genuinely 20 to 40 percent discount with a 12 to 14 percent yield and, and we were adding value we were refurbishing and then we were going back to the lender six to 12 months later and, and refinancing and pulling all the money out um, that market started to become a bit more saturated there were a lot more people doing it and the mortgage lenders um, in the main <clears throat> made a decision that they weren't going to deal with property clubs They'd been burned by the off-plan um, um, investments that had been around in Leeds and Manchester and some of the big cities, and and so they really didn't like property clubs. Now we 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 went to the very top of some of these lenders and 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 um, showed to them that we weren't a property club, and they accepted that, but they were still not comfortable to. Uh, to run the model so mortgages became very difficult for our clients um, we had a, 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 a number of clients that were based overseas that were able to tap into expat mortgages and those lenders changed their rules kind of like mortgage express did overnight one day they were there and the next they weren't um, so it just became very difficult and then valuers became um, wary of below market value properties so where you could genuinely buy a hundred thousand pound house for seventy thousand because there was a motivated seller you know a lot more valuers just became wary that that was a genuine discount and a lot of them would say well if you paid 70 for it then it's worth 70 even if you could sell it today for 90 9500 so it just became a very very difficult model and it, it became a hard slog and we um you know, unlike a lot of portfolio building companies, we didn't we didn't put the company into administration or liquidation. We we worked our way out of it, and yeah. and we've 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 delivered literally hundreds of thousands of pounds in refunds to clients. Um, so a difficult at, time, I would imagine. Very difficult time. Very difficult. Yeah, very difficult, and um, yeah, and difficult for clients as well who who were promised something that we we ultimately we couldn't deliver on. We, you know, the mortgage products had, had disappeared, and then that was also against the backdrop of you know a lot more confidence in the market, a lot more finance in the market. Because one of the main reasons why we were able to buy below market value wasn't because prices had dropped; it was because a lot of people couldn't get finance because a lot of the finance products were had been removed after the 
2008 crash and 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 sort of towards 2013 14 they started to come back so vendors didn't have to sell it at below market value and you know interest rates were low there were less people um motivated through financial reasons so it, it was a very difficult time and and you know I'm, I'm pleased to say you know we've still got we've still got a handful of clients that we're working with to to ensure that they come out of it um without any financial loss but i'm pleased to say that you know we didn't take the easy route and close the company down we've, we've worked hard and i've got a co-director uh, a co-shareholder in that business who has stuck with it and has and has pumped you know a lot of money into it alongside me just to make sure that those clients mm. um came out in in uh, in the best shape possible you know we weren't able to deliver what we said but um we have been able to deliver refunds on fees and 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 put them back to where they were before they they entered it in in the majority of cases well it's, 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 i think it's a really admirable way of doing because as you say it's not not how everybody deals with things with it, with it when it when things go wrong so how did you see the opportunity for you know the, i guess this sort of third phase isn't it in in property for you so you've done the hmos you've understood the the um, the single let side of things and then looking at what we're going to, what we're talking about today the the opportunity in hotel investments where how did you spot that how did that come about yeah well i met i met my business partner who um he was running a what was essentially a sales agency and most of the people on the call and you you'll have seen this model where investors can buy a, a single hotel room or a car park space or a self-storage pod and he tapped into um a, a a a number of hoteliers that wanted to essentially sell their hotels on that on that model and it it's essentially um a funding um it's a way of funding a hotel so you buy a hotel and then you carve it up into segments being rooms and then you refinance each individual room um and so he was doing that but when when we met um lee and i had a conversation about well that that that's great but you know you really want to be owning property yourself so he and i did a few deals together not specifically in hotels we bought some small development projects um I was chasing yield. I've, I've always chased yield. So I don't subscribe to, um, to just buying property for capital growth because, um, you know, unless you've got a very good job elsewhere and income coming in, you, you need income. I talk about money you can spend in Waitrose at the end of the month or at the end of the week and, and you can't spend capital growth. Um, and I'm so we you know, property and whatever we're doing is it's so capital intensive, isn't it? Without cash coming in, it, it would just be the easiest thing in the world for the business to go under, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's the the main reason why businesses in any sector fail. It's not because they're not profitable, it's not because they they don't have a strong balance sheet. You know, you see businesses go under all of the time with strong balance sheets, but their cash flow is is not very good and it's cash flow that that, that kills businesses and so we've always chased yield and and so the move into hotels wasn't <clears throat> you know it wasn't deliberate we didn't sit around and think right okay what we should do next is buy a hotel we were chasing yield and so we we did some development projects we bought a care home 
and we bought a couple of hotels and and we were we just kind of jumped in feet first knowing that we could figure it out along the way and knowing that there was plenty of support you know we didn't we didn't just dive in blindly we we put as much risk mitigation in as possible we surrounded ourselves with as many experts as possible and and so we came out of that initial one year period realizing that care homes are very difficult to run they're very um it took us a year from buying the care home to um to getting a single penny out of it with the legislation and the occupation so we decided that was too slow for us um development projects you know i respect developers but that is that's big lumpy chunks of income rather than yeah. money you can spend in waitrose every week yeah um and so we still do i think we did we did one development last year we might do a couple this year um, and, and i guess developments are unpredictable aren't they as well not only all the you know how much it's going to cost to actually do this thing but the the appetite for the product at the end if you're selling it and you know you're reliant upon finding a buyer whereas i i've definitely found i don't know if you've found the same thing that you know in the stuff that i bought to rent out the figures have always been pretty much bang on what i thought they would be you know i've tenanted it from pretty much day one and i pretty much get within two or three percent of what i anticipated the rent would be but it's, it is different in developments you know there's a lot more sort of un- unknowns and you're trying to sell a product at the end of it i guess yeah you, tr- you you're ultimately trying to predict what the market is going to be like in 18 to 24 months and and you know a lot of people ignore a lot of the the true costs when they do their developments you know so they'll ignore the the cost of finance or they'll they'll sort of factor it in but they'll ignore the entry the the arrangement and exit fees and and i i just see people winging it in a lot of cases with development and um for me it, it it's always been about predictability of income and so you know we when we buy a hotel today there's money in the till tomorrow there's money in the bank tomorrow there's and 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 there's a lot more moving parts than there is in a buy to let mm. but we we made a decision that we weren't going to buy hotels that were closed we weren't going to buy buildings to convert into hotels we weren't going to buy we weren't going to build new hotels we were just going to buy existing trading businesses okay so why are people selling these hotels and and who 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 are the owners are these kind of small independents or are they sort of you know bigger names that we would brand names that we would recognize <coughs> that are selling off particular sites and why are they selling them and and where do they sell them through yeah so um i'll deal with the brand names thing first so we 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 have a portfolio of 20 hotels which includes travel lodge ibis comfort in best western and holiday inn and then we have some unbranded hotels and 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 those brands are predominantly just that they are just brands they don't own the hotels they don't um you know they don't sell the hotels some of the big brands do own hotels so travel lodge do own some of their own hotels but in 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 a lot of cases they're just marketing organizations so okay so you're licensed you've got a sort of license to their brand. yeah yeah so if you if you wanted to own a, a coffee shop for instance and you could call it ants coffees or you could go and buy a, a costa franchise and yeah. and the systems and processes and brand might give you more traction in the market than if you just called it lion's coffees yeah and so 
we 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 work with and they support the hotels that we have but we own the building it's our business we run it um in line with their guidance and franchise okay um in um, terms of yeah, yeah. Well, well, so, so why are why are people selling them late retiring or just exiting or or on these businesses which maybe aren't performing it brilliantly at the moment and you can see that you can add value to i mean i'm just you know I got yeah, it's, it's all of that it's all of that so we we tend to buy um we tend to buy hotels from from individual owners who have got one hotel and that's <clears throat> if i think back to to through the hotels that we've bought there's been a lot of retirement sales in there there's been um sales from owners who feel like they've taken the business as far as they can so one of our one of our best hotels best performing hotels was run by um and and not to be offensive but an, an old builder who bought this hotel he'd done an amazing job over 10 years refurbishing it um putting it on the map you know run it you know every penny attention to every penny run it really well but but just hadn't realized the internet had, had arrived and and so there was always going to be a limit to what he could do with it because he he wasn't plugged into the internet and and i don't know about you and most of the listeners but when i book a hotel i don't pick the yellow pages up and ring the hotel i, I do it online and so uh, this was a great hotel but it was just it was just languishing in the um 1970s or 80s from a from an operational point of view and he was doing well because it was well known and he had a lot of repeat business so they tend to be owners who are retiring um we look for opportunities to add value so in that particular hotel because this guy was a builder we agreed as part of the deal that we would buy the hotel and he would also build us an 18 room extension which he did um so where we can add rooms where we can refurbish them where we can add a brand or in some cases we've taken a brand off a hotel where the 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 positioning the location the the type of hotel doesn't suit that brand um so we're we're looking for we're looking for yield first and foremost and then we're looking for ways in which we can add value okay and um how are you financing the purchases of these? Because it's not, you know, you're not going to an off-the-shelf buy-to-let lender. You know, it's, it's going to be a lot more specialist. And I'm, I'm really interested as to how um, they value hotels, A, when you're buying them, and when you're presumably, I'm, I'm assuming that you're looking to refinance um, later on. So how does the world of sort of commercial finance when it comes to hotels work? Yeah, so we, we've used the combination of, of, of lots of things. So... In the early days, we primarily we want we want to get a mainstream bank to 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 help us finance these hotels, and 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 every mainstream bank that you can think of, Lloyd's, Santander, um, NatWest, RBS, they all have specialist hotel divisions, and they'll have specialist people in there. But until we'd bought seven hotels, they, they, they just kept asking us, well, what do you know about running hotels? What do you know about running hotels? Mm. You know, you want to buy a hotel, what do you know about running hotels? And so we came up against that a lot in the early days. And so there's a number of ways in which you can get around that. You can buy hotels and, and get some experience, which is partly what we did. So 
in the early days, we, we used bridging finance, we used our own money, we work with investors, we give our investors um, a good return on their money. And we, we were just creative. The other way of getting around that question of what do you know about running hotels is to hire that help. So in the early days, we hired um, hotel management companies to run our hotels for us. And we would answer that question to the banks by saying, well, actually, you know, we've got this team of experts here that have got expertise in running hotels. And so, um, so to answer the finance question, we use, we've used bridging finance. We use um, our own money. We use mainstream banks. We've got a, a, a number of investors, including a big family office that, that have lent um, £8 million to us across the portfolio and we're constantly we're constantly constantly looking for new ways of finance and new ways of refinance but um there isn't the model where you can buy a hotel run it for two years pull all of your money out we've that the loan to values are just too low so even though we've got great relationships with with the big banks you know we just bought a, a hotel for three point um, 3.75 million using NatWest. Our loan to value on that is circa 55%. Right. So you're booking, putting in a, a chunk of cash. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I guess it comes to a point where any of us personally, we would run out of money very quickly in this model. So, so you bring private investors in with a combination of sort of bank finance on that. And, and those are longer term investors. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got we've got um, we've probably got about forty investors. We we typically pay them twelve percent on their money, and we can afford to do that because it, it it's all about the blend of rate. So we're we're buying hotels that are delivering twelve percent typically, so they're delivering twelve percent income before the cost of finance, and we'll get we'll get typically fifty five to sixty percent of that money from a bank at three percent. Yeah. We'll pay typically. We'll typically take twenty percent of that money from investors, and we'll pay them twelve percent. And then we'll typically put twenty percent of our own money in as well. Okay. Um, the other thing you can do, Ant, which um, we've done a couple of lease options on hotels in this space, um, where we've we've leased the hotel. So you're you're um, you know we've leased the hotel because it's not really performing. And we've got a five-year option to buy it at what would essentially be a, a, a today's price. But in that five years, we can really drive the income because you, you also asked how hotels are valued. They're valued as a multiple of their EBITDA. So for those people listening that don't know, EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. And the simple way of explaining that, it's the profit before you've paid your cost of finance or before you've amortized any major building works, depreciation amortization is, is accountancy speak. Yeah. Um, and so valuers and banks will look at the EBITDA and they'll apply a multiple, which varies depending on the type of hotel, where it is located. Um, it's, you know, how well it's established, the brand and all of those things. But we typically get, we, we typically buy hotels at less than 10 times EBITDA. Right. Um, okay. So it would be seven, eight, nine times EBITDA, something yes. like that, depending yeah. where, where it would be. Um, yeah. 
And and how do you find them? Are you are you going via sort of commercial agents and specialist brokers, or are you approaching owners direct? Um, we're doing both. So we, you know, there's there's some well established commercial agents. Um, they're not difficult to find. They're the big names. So Collier's, Christie's, LSH, GVA. You know, all these big surveying companies have hotel arms. Um, there are specialist hoteliers, hotel agents, people like Florets that, that sort of more specialise in, in the pubs but have hotels. And then we do, we, we have a database of, of hotels throughout the UK and we, we write to them directly um, because a lot of people that are selling hotels don't want anyone to know that they're selling. They don't want the staff to know that they're selling because they think their staff will leave. And in some cases they do. They don't want the brides that are planning on booking their wedding there next year to know because they generally won't. They'll, they'll, you know, when a bride um, and groom go around a hotel, they, they fall in love with a hotel, but they get confidence from the people that they meet that they're going to take care of their, their special day. And, and if they get wind that the hotel's selling, they're less likely to, to, to want to book there. So a lot of hoteliers want to sell their hotel, but they don't want anyone to now. And, and that's obviously difficult because you have to let people know that you're selling if you want to sell it. So we bought quite a lot of deals that have been off market. Um, and, and, you know, through discretion, you know, up until the last hotel that we bought, which was in the Cotswolds, it was we'd we'd been working on that for about six months and it was only in the week of completion did did the staff get told um that that it was being sold now people people get wind of these things but um yeah i mean there's no there's no rocket science to that there's a well-established hotel market place out there that that is run by probably six or seven agents Nick, your your business is kind of divided into three bits, I, I guess. And so the, the the finding, the acquisition of hotels, and, and funding those, and then the day to day kind of operations. And I'm guessing you need to be quite systemized to um, not get drawn into the day to day management of stuff. Yeah. So so I spend my time in the finding and funding, and then we 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 have a a great team that that run the hotels who obviously you know we we have involvement with and and they report into us and we we set the strategy we set the um the timelines of what we want to do with each hotel and in the early days we we hired hotel management companies so if you think about buying buy to let properties when you first start you might you might run the properties yourself or if if you don't want to then you'll hire a letting agent and they'll take care of all of that. And there are hotel management companies that will do that for you. But as you grow, and we did this when we bought the 474 properties, as, as you grow, it becomes more efficient to hire your own people. And so three years in at the start of this year, we, we, um, we moved away from a hotel management company to hiring our own people. And so we've now got a commercial director and operations director. We've got HR people, we've got events people. So specific heads of department that look after the hotels. And then 
within each hotel, each hotel has a, has a general manager, which is kind of like an MD of that business. And so the day-to-day issues of, or oh, we've run out of peanuts or, you know, John's late again, or Michaela hasn't turned up or there's this guest issue, they get stopped at GM level. And there's obviously reporting that, that kind of goes up the chain and, and we see various reports across the hotels, but, most of the day-to-day stuff ought to be dealt with by the GM. And then we have this, the operations and commercial director predominantly that, that feed, that extract information out of the hotels um, and feed that into us in a, very, in, a, in a number of reports and KPIs and, and, um, and uh, plans. I want to ask about the KPIs, actually, because I was, I was doing an interview actually just yesterday about someone who'd done their first... Um, hotel they kind of moved from HMOs into uh, a sort of a boutique um, I don't know how you describe it really kind of self-service hotel so it's completely unmanned and um, they were talking to some of their KPIs there's sort of occupancy rates and um, and and the fact that you're also looking at uh, um, the revenue that's delivered over that period as well because you know depending on the time of year and the level of demand you're tweaking the room rates all the time so what are you looking at when you're assessing the business yeah we we look at everything i mean it, it, if anything we're we're massively overrun with data so i i can tell you how our room rate for this wednesday compared to our room rate for this wednesday last year um so you, you you can get overrun with 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 data and um, and detail and and um, this is the exciting part and this is this is the really interesting exciting part as an investor. So you talked earlier about your buy to let when you were talking about the difference between buy to let and development and and you buy a buy to let and you know that the rent's going to be it's going to be eight hundred quid a month or maybe eight twenty five but the margin is slim. Well, in a hotel, we we typically have six revenue streams. So we have rooms, we have food, we have beverage, we'll have weddings, we'll have corporate events. And then we, in some hotels, we, we hire the car parking and, and there's other revenue streams. And, and the really exciting part is if the revenue this year is a million quid, it could be two next year. The, the, it's not, it's not a slim margin. And, and there's, there's 154 things that we can do to improve that revenue. Um, you know, so we don't, we don't tweak room rates by the month. We're, we're tweaking them daily, you know, by the hour. We've, we've a team of revenue managers that, um, you know, they start the day maybe with, with 20 of the 40 rooms full. And as the rooms fill up throughout the day for that evening, they'll tweak the rates. So we're actively managing the room rates like by the hour. So as people book, then we, we, we up the rates. Um, we, we look at rates around big events. So we, we have a hotel in Chester, for instance, and um, close, to the, close to the race course, whenever there's a race meeting, we can, we can stick 20 to 30% on our, on our room rates. The, the, the hotel we've got at Sedgefield whenever it's Great North Run Week, we can double, sometimes treble our room rates. The hotel we've got in Cheltenham, Cheltenham Gold Cup Week, we get six times the room rate. So 
there's there's all of this going on and then you you feed in marketing you feed in um you know specific campaigns it, it's it's never ending it's what an you exciting can do. business isn't it you know it's uh, it sounds like a sort of very dynamic business in comparison with kind of buy to let where you know you've bought the thing and someone moves in and and then hopefully they pay you every month it's, it's a very different model i can i can i can see um and i can see why you're excited by it as well i wanted to ask how is the hotel market kind of changing in your opinion is airbnb having an effect on how we you know how we kind of spend our time away from our homes yeah i mean it undoubtedly is i mean airbnb's massive it's you know it's huge it's definitely taking um you know specific nights away from hoteliers as is the sa market but you know that's i can't change that i can't do anything about airbnb i can't do anything about the sa providers what we can do is we can just make our hotels better and um you know generally airbnb hasn't arrived in the locations where we buy hotels so we're we're not buying in the big cities because the yields are too low so we buy in secondary what are called secondary towns so um chester rather than manchester um durham hartlepool um, darlington we've a cluster in the cotswolds so um because we're looking for yield and and the the i'll give you an example so we we bought a 55 bedroom hotel in in hartlepool for 1.5 million and our average room rate is 70 pound a night that same hotel building in london would be wouldn't be 1.5 million it'd be 15 million at least mm. but the room rate wouldn't be 10 times that you know it wouldn't be 700 pound a night you might get 300 pound a night so the yield is much lower mm. so um so we buy in in these secondary locations because we're chasing yield and, and and does the occupancy rate differ if you're in a sort of secondary location um does it, it does the the occupancy rate differ from those kind of prime location areas or is there a sort of average across the board do you think that, that, that <coughs> no no every hotel is different every hotel is every hotel that we bought is different it <clears throat> excuse me there's so many factors that affect occupancy and room rate so many and they and and they change they change by day of week they change by week of the year they change by year to year and they change because of the reviews that you get or the the refurb you've just done or the quality of the food that you're serving or the the marketing you're doing it's 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 not very it, it's difficult to uh, to pinpoint um, specific rules like that, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'd encourage anyone to to go into hotels. But people that are going into it that want all the boxes ticked, a nice, neat spreadsheet, um, you know, are going to find it probably more difficult because it's very dynamic. It's you know, just because like we bought a hotel that 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 for the previous few years did x ebitda and then we get it and it does y ebitda and and it's it's changing all of the time it's changing all of the time it can be changed by a new hotel that's built across the road you know there's there's all this going on but there are enough in my opinion there are enough 
ways in which you can influence your own business without worrying too much about the external factors. I don't worry about Brexit. I don't worry about what that's going to have an impact on because it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is just make sure that, that, that my hotels are performing as best that they can and we invest in the right areas and we, we, we do the right strategies and we, we um, implement the right marketing and we employ the right team in there and, and all of that. It's hard to worry about Airbnb or Brexit or SA coming along. I think it's probably one of those things where if you worried about every element of it, you would never do it, would you? It would never be too many reasons to not do it. If you if you were the kind of person that got hung up on too many of the details, yeah, massively. And 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 it is look, it is a it is a big you know it, it's a big step, I think, jumping into hotels. That's not to say that, that, that people shouldn't do it. They shouldn't consider it. it you know, you have to be, I, I would say if, if you're planning on doing hotels, you know, I get people coming to me all of the time. I had one this week saying, oh, I found this amazing building that's empty and it's a great location. And, and I looked at the building and it's an astonishingly good location and it should make a great hotel, but it might not. And you, and you layer in the fact of the, the, the development arm. And I, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. I just wouldn't. I'd, I'd rather buy something that maybe isn't in such a good location in theory, but a, a business that I can analyze to understand what it's currently doing and then look at, well, how can I move it from A to B? Because buying empty buildings or building new hotels, I think is, is, is just massively too risky. But if you're buying an existing business that that maybe is underperforming, that maybe, you know, sometimes it can be something as simple as, oh, they don't do breakfast. They don't serve food. Um, you know, the, the guy that you, you talked about there where he's got no people in there. That's an interesting model. But he could maybe, I don't know, he might be able to generate more revenue and more profit by trialing a, a breakfast offering. But you know what? If he tried it for four months and it didn't work, he could reverse it and he could go back. Mm. So a lot of this is trial and error and measuring those KPIs and measuring the results and then tweaking. You know, we get, we get stuff wrong all of the time. You know, we, we have these brilliant ideas that are definitely going to work and you put them in the marketplace and the marketplace goes, yeah, so what? That's not really what we wanted. And so you just reverse it. You try something else. You, you tweak it. Um, and so do you, um, uh, I guess I wanted to sort of talk about the opportunities for, for we, we have to be honest now and talk about buy to let and say that buy to let with section 24 and, um, you know, the, the way that buy to let is treated from tax point of view, it, it does make less sense than it did, you know, when you and I were kind of in the thick of it, 2010, 2012, that sort of time. So are there... You know, I'm wondering why more people aren't sort of looking at com more commercial opportunities. Do you think it is just a, a fear of the unknown, and b, you need more money to do it? Yes, it, both of those. I mean, but let, let me just address this buy to let point because I've written a lot about buy to let being dead over the over the probably the last two or three years, and 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 not everyone agrees with me, and and I respect that. But just so people have heard me say it from the horse's mouth, I think that. Buy to let as a as a long term pension provision um, 
additional security in later life is not dead. It's a great way to park money um, if you've got spare cash, if you've got if you've got income, and you're not relying on the income from buy to let, then I think it's a great investment. If you're relying on income from buy to let, then I think it's dead. I think, you know, I've been challenged on this numerous times where people say, well, you know, I've got this buy to let and I get £800 a month and my mortgage is £300 a month and so I'm making £500 a month. And I say, well, what about gas tests? What about insurance? What about mortgage payment? Oh, well, I've, you know, I don't have a mortgage. That's fine. Um, what about repairs and voids and maintenance? And people just, and I've challenged anyone to send me a spreadsheet that shows that this still makes sense. And you know, I, I'm totally with you, Nick. You know, I, I, I still have my portfolio and it's there for the long term, but it's, but it's not my income. And I think if I, if I was reliant upon it for my income, it would be actually, it wouldn't be a great style of life right now, you know, because of the tax changes. So I'm with you. I think it's a long-term investment. It's a smart place. I still don't really see a better place to sort of park, park money. Um, there isn't, no. Uh, but, but it's not an income generator anymore, is it, no. on the single let stuff? No, yeah, and I, I, I think, I, I just think that's, you know, I talk about mathematics. Mathematics doesn't lie, okay? We, we were buying, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was probably more incentivized than anyone to keep banging the drum that buy to let is still a lie. But the reality is it isn't, it, you know, from an income point of view, it's dead. It's, it's, it's very difficult to get any kind of decent return out of buy to let. Moving on from that and answering the question that you actually asked about why more people aren't moving into commercial. I think people are. I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that are doing hotels without really calling them hotels. So you've got this whole SA model, um, you know, the service accommodation model. I think, I think the way that that's being taught from what I've seen by a lot of the, the, the educators is flawed because they're trying to keep people below the VAT threshold. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if, like if your turnover in an SA business is less than 85,000, I'd be surprised if you're making, if you're actually coming away with any more than 10 grand a year out of that. Mm. And, and I don't know many people could, that can live on that. So I'm not knocking it as an extra revenue stream, 10 grand a year might, might work for people. But if you're, um, if you're looking to build a business, then you need to bust through that VAT threshold. Mm. And there's kind of a no man's land really once you bust through that VAT threshold, you have, to, you have to go way beyond it because immediately, like if you turn over 90,000, then 20% of your income disappears to the VAT man, right? So you have to go way beyond that VAT threshold. Because you, you are someone who, you know, by your very nature, I think you, you're kind of a, well, if I'm in this, I'm, I'm in this to, to go big. You know, I want to do this properly. So what size is your business at the moment um, in terms of sort of numbers of hotels and rooms and, and turnover of the business? So we have, we have 20 hotels. We've, we've over 700 rooms. Our average size hotel is, a, I think the average is like 37 rooms. Um, we don't buy smaller hotels now. We did in the early days, but those were the stepping stones that gave us the learning. So, you know, if you're, if you're thinking of going into hotels, um, just, just buy something that, that you can manage, buy something that, that is affordable. You know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, our largest hotel is 81 rooms, but that took us a while to get to that place where we could finance it. Um, 
and and turnover we're about we're about 16 million um 18 million with this latest acquisition so um and yeah so that that's that's kind of the size of the size of the business but i'll say this to you we've bought we have bought lots of hotels from owners who have who have had just that one hotel who have made a damn good living out of running one hotel and and that but they've been in the business and they've improved it and they've worked in the business that's not what i want to do but i recognize that that you know i recognize that there's maybe some people that might want to live and work in a hotel or they might want to do more of that than i do Mm. um so some of the hotels that we we own i haven't been to for over a year Mm. and and i'm not particularly proud of that but that's not my role in the business i'm i'm not i'm not you know we've got better people to run the hotels than i ever could you know the team that we've got that run the hotels are far more experienced far more knowledgeable um just better at running them than i would be so Mm. i don't interfere too much in in their in their role but if you know for people out there listening who are thinking well maybe i could try hotels you just start with one like we did we, you know we bought one first and three and a half years later we've got 20 and that's you know that's just the journey we're on but as i said we've we've bought lots of hotels from individual owners who have made a damn good living out of running one hotel you know some of these businesses earn 400 grand a year I, you know well, i don't know many property investors that are earning that out of a portfolio of very very few and i think also the it's probably it's it's not i I don't know about you when i drop my kids off at school that i sometimes most of the other dads aren't about actually uh, a lot of the time um but when they are and i see them at it stuff and they're in corporate life they're they're looking for a way out and that's normally some somehow to replace it's about a six-figure salary it's probably going to be somewhere between and i say 80 and 150 grand something like that um and, and actually you can see that probably those people wouldn't need many of these or one of these to, to make that kind of lifestyle change, I guess. Not at all. I mean, the, the, the hotel that we bought in, look, the, I, think, I think the problem with, with property in, in a lot of cases and, and, and the way that our industry is set up with, you know, some of the educators that tell you how easy it is and, and um, and you know you go on this course and tomorrow you'll be a millionaire and you know you 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 implement these five steps to whatever and you know this time next year you'll be a gazillionaire i i, I just think that's flawed i don't think that's just limited to property i think it's most sectors this is hard work okay it's hard work but it's enjoyable work doesn't have to be tedious you don't have to you know the closest hotel i got is 120 miles away I don't have to go there every day. I don't go there every day. I rarely go there every six months. So you can set it up how you want to, but it is hard work. There's a lot of effort and time that goes into it. But, you know, if you're looking to make that six figure salary, my view is it's probably less hard work than the guy that you meet at the school gates that's in corporate life. And you've probably got a lot more freedom uh, of what you do when you do than he does or she does so you know i typically i've typically done a couple of hours before my kids get up i'll take my daughter to school most mornings when i'm when i'm here i tend to i tend to 
travel to London once a week um, and and I'll pick her up from school and then so I'll work during the day while she's at, at school and then spend time with the family in the evenings and then some evenings when everyone's gone to bed I'll do another hour or two hours or whatever and it, that's just that's just the benefit you get of working for yourself but it's not easy it's not not no one's given me a 10-step guide to being a millionaire in hotels it's just it's nonsense frankly it, it, I, think. I think it is nonsense isn't it and I kind of look at you know my business life sometimes and you think well actually it's pretty stressful as well isn't it you know you're looking at you know you, you in particular you're talking about very big numbers and those come with big responsibilities as well don't they yeah I mean we 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 employed 400 people i think across across the board and but it, it's not a reason not to do it it's just it's just you just need to be realistic about it so people that want to people that are listening to this that think actually you know that sounds great you know there's nothing to stop you i don't know selling your house buying a hotel living in it running it getting it up and running then employing a gm and moving on to the next one that's a strategy that's a way that that would work because, you know, as I said, the exciting thing about hotels is it is predominantly the business can be driven by you. You know, the, the, these external forces that I, and you asked about Airbnb and I get asked about Brexit and the UK economy. There's, there's always, every day when I wake up, there's always more I can do to drive the revenue and there's always more I can do to reduce the cost. Yeah. So the, the profitability of, of, of the hotels is primarily sits with me and the team that we have it's it's within our contract and it and that's just a function of systems and processes and people and time and can i ask you a question nick so when you were initially looking at you know, commercial opportunities at hotels and you kind of have a view of what it's going to be like and it's not you know we accept that you know we don't know everything from the outset have there been any kind of speed bumps along the way and stuff that you know about the business that you didn't foresee so either good or bad so you know stuff's happened that you just couldn't have envisaged or you know things have gone better than you'd anticipated because i'm always interested in the kind of the stuff that happens that you you just don't predict yeah so and 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 that i mean the short answer to that that happens every day you know we we, we don't this isn't like buy to let where you you know, you know, your rent is going to be 800 or 825. There's stuff all of the time, but I'll give you a couple of big examples. So we bought a hotel where the vendor lied about and, and, and frankly, um, falsified accounting information. And that's tied up with a, with a whole legal warranty issue. And, and, you know, the lawyers protected us as much as they could with paperwork. But so that's an issue that we're dealing with at the moment. And, and we're still working on, irrespective of that issue, just trying to get that hotel to the best place that we possibly can um, in terms of income. And so we look at ourselves and we say, right, okay, well, let's park the warranty thing as a separate thing. Let's put the lawyers on, on dealing with that. What can we do to improve the profitability of this hotel? So, you, you know, there's, there's issues like that. Um, we've strengthened our DD process we put more steps in we do that a lot earlier we get you know we before we before we typically um have committed to a hotel we've probably spent 
five to ten grand on surveys and and valuations just to just to try and prevent that happening again mm. um but for every one of those there's a there's a there's another upside and so you, you have to take all of that into account and so we bought we bought um we bought the travel lodge at sedgefield and it, we bought it out of travel lodge had um had put it into a cva they put 51 of their hotels into cva a few years ago and uh, compulsory voluntary arrangement and so they basically sent them bust and the receivers were 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 um were running this and we bought it out of out of administration or receivership or whatever the correct term is mm. and we paid eight hundred thousand for it and it's 40 rooms and on the site kind of we hardly even noticed it was a closed down little chef um you know little chef used to be alongside travel lodges they had some arrangement years ago and it was closed down and we 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 saw this thing and we thought well the best thing we could do with that is knock it down because we're going to be paying rates and business rates and we don't want to because what what the heck are we going to do with it so um, we bought the hotel it made sense at eight hundred thousand. Um, was, was it operating at the time was it running as a hotel at that point yeah we've never bought a hotel that isn't operating that i think that just puts too much risk in but the point about the little chef is a couple of months later not quite as we're about to send the bulldozers in but klaus the there's a local indian restaurateur in the town just down the road who made us an offer to buy the little chef and we sold it for one hundred and eighty thousand pounds so okay so a real pleasant surprise that time yeah there's rough okay. and smooth in it and and you know i i back i would back myself and the team in our ability to sort anything out you know we don't we don't take unnecessary risks um so we don't buy closed hotels we don't build new hotels we don't refurbish existing buildings into hotels because i think that's an unnecessary risk mm. um and we tick as many boxes as we can. We, we, you know, we have four different lawyers when we, when we buy a hotel, there's a property lawyer, there's a corporate lawyer, you look at IP, you look at contract stuff, but you can't tick every box. There's, there's, there's going to be the guy that falsifies information. There's going to be, but that's, again, that's not, to my mind, that's not a reason not to do it. It's just a reason to get better at doing it. So when you're, uh, let's say you're doing the, the, the very quick initial appraisal of a, of, of a potential hotel, and I know obviously there's a huge amount of due, due diligence afterwards, what would you be looking at then? So you'd be looking at, you know, the kind of occupancy rate, the, obviously the price of the hotel at the moment, the um, uh, EBITDA figure, and then working that out saying, okay, well, that's delivering our, the, the, the EBIT on this is broadly 12% of the, of, of the, the asking price what do you what are you looking at yeah so we we start with the accounts so our first filter is always the accounts the you know the ebitda has to be at least 10 percent, at least 10 percent. so if if the hotel's a million quid it needs to be delivering 100 grand of ebitda because we just know that that without that financing it is going to be difficult so that allows us to put 95 percent of the hotels that come across our desk or in our email in the bin and then so and and to look and to get to that true EBITDA figure you have to delve a little bit deeper into the into the account so and that can sometimes be a challenge because a lot of people don't keep very good accounts they don't keep management accounts so you have to delve a little bit deeper 
the benefit of buying bigger hotels is the accounts information tends to be not always but it tends to be better so that would be our first filter i, I, I guess with the small ones and i know i've come across this before in the past actually they the accounts that they keep you know they're trying to drive the profit down actually the represented profit because they don't want to yeah. pay too much tax so the the corporate guys i guess they, they you know they they're used to more standardized accounts it's probably a truer picture yeah and 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 honestly a lot of the a lot of the I'm going to be careful what I say here, but a lot of the individual owners probably don't declare all of the income. You know, hotels have, have a lot of cash sloshing around and they don't declare that income. But the, the reality is if they're not declaring it and that is going to affect the purchase price or, the, or their sale price, they can't have it both ways. They can't have years of, you know, we've come across these owners who have had years of taking money out the till without declaring it, not putting it on their accounts. And then they expect you to pay the 10 times or seven times or eight times EBITDA when the EBITDA is not there, it's not declared. So yeah. you can take a view on that, but we, we, we typically don't because it's impossible to verify. So finance as well then, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because yeah, the value is going to go on the accounts. What else has he got to go on? Yeah. Um, so numbers first, we then look at the, the building. So we'll look at, the the state of it we get um you know we get the main items checked so boilers you know a boiler in a hotel can be 50 grand it's not you know it's not a worcester bosch green star whatever it is at 1200 quid these things can be like 50 to 100 grand um so we get we get a proper survey done um a, a proper building survey done on the building and then a specialist m and &E survey done. So this is once we've verified the income, we've, we've got to a place where we think we can do a deal, we'll send the surveyors in and we'll send the valuer in as well at that point. So this is before it gets to legals, but we're, we're fairly well advanced. We've, we've agreed the price is gonna be circa 2 million or whatever it is. We then start spending money on these things because we'd rather spend five to 10 grand and get to the point where actually, you know, this boiler needs um, renewing and that's going to be 100 grand or there's asbestos everywhere or the roof's got a major problem and pull out or renegotiate with the vendor, then, then ignore those things, go into it and, and end up having to pay it once we own it, which we've done in the past, by the way. We've, you know, we've made that mistake. So by trying to save money early, it just costs you a fortune in the end. So we don't do that now. And then, um, so you get, you get to the point where the, 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 um, you know, the, the numbers verify the, um, the building checks out and then you put it into legals. But even at that point, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that can, um, that can get thrown up in the legal diligence. Mm. Um, that could affect a deal. So we, we had a deal which we ended up completing on, but it came close to, to failing fairly that long down the process because the, um, the owner had promised in a contract, in the contract of employment. So he had a general manager and a head chef. Um, so we were buying this hotel thinking that the EBITDA is 100 grand. So we were buying it for 750 grand. So we're well below our 10 times multiple. But fairly late on in the legal diligence process um we spotted that he'd 
given a profit share to his GM and head chef of 40% each. So this hundred grand, 40 was going to the head chef and 40 was going to the GM. So we, what we were actually buying was a business that did 20 grand for us. And of course, you know, that's, so there's this proposition. Yeah. So we, you know, we renegotiated out of it. He bought them out of that, that entitlement in their contract and we moved on. But we had a hotel where we had a similar issue. We were buying it in, in a place called Ironbridge and we got to the day of completion and we just, we, there, there became an issue. We, we were ready. We'd got the funds lined up. Um, the team were ready to go in and we, and we couldn't um, reach a compromise and the deal failed at that, on that day. Literally, I was there on the day and this issue came up and we tried to resolve it over the next week and we didn't. And so we, we pulled out of that deal. The vendor pulled out. And our costs at that point were probably about 30 grand with surveys and legals. Mm. But that's, that was a, that it was better to spend that 30 grand than to buy something that was going to be a major problem. So, um, absolutely. I'm interested as well in that you're, you know, you're, you're really interested in numbers, aren't you? This, you don't, you know, you haven't got a sort of particular brand and look and feel of the chain of hotels. They're, they're, They're very, very different. Um, are most people like that are most hotel owners like that or do you think you know the sort of smaller chains that this is the brand this is the product this is what we are representing well we're we're investors and first and foremost we're not hoteliers i think if we were if we were hoteliers and 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 we we may we may end up with a brand potentially but you know we can tap into some of the big brands um for probably a lot less than it would take for us to build our own and 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 our first filter is is income so we've got we've got three star hotels and we've got four star hotels and um you know so in this and we've some so we we, we've we've a number of hotels that are just room factories for instance so we've travel lodge we've two ibis we've two comfort inns which which were old premier inns. so we could take those five hotels we could debadge them from Travel Lodge, Ibis, and Comfort Inn, and we could we could create our own brand. I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know whether the money that we would have to spend. Yeah, I mean, as, as an investor rather than a hotelier, is there any advantage in doing it? That's the question, I guess. Probably not. Yeah, we haven't done the analysis, to no. be frank. My my perception of it and 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 at some point we'll do the analysis but my perception of it is five's probably not enough mm. to create a brand um because they're in different locations like if we if we had if we had five hotels in a single town that you could become named for yeah um then maybe having said that you look at the crazy bear brand which for various reasons we looked at in some detail a few years ago um you know that guy's got four sites and that's an amazing brand but it's mm. taken him 20 years to build it up mm. so you know, the other one i wanted to ask is you know when you're doing your due diligence you must have seen people have moved into this market and got it wrong you know they bought one hotel or a few or whatever and where do you think the potential pitfalls are in people moving you know into this kind of investment um I think it's, I think you've got, you got to, you got to have a good grasp on the numbers. You've got to know what, what 
what you're buying. You've got to know what it's doing at the moment. And that's why I keep saying we don't buy closed hotels because you, you're then trying to predict what, what the hotel can do. It's a lot easier to take someone else's business, knowing what it can do and then improve it, I think. Mm. So, um, again, we, we came close to building a new hotel. We, we, we actually agreed a deal on a piece of land, um, you know, up in, uh, up in the Peak District. But, you know, frankly, the cost of building new rooms is more expensive than the cost of acquiring existing. And, you know, you've got the delay and all the development risks of, of building, whereas, you know, the, the two years it would have taken me to build that hotel, I could have had two years of income from another. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of help out there. There's, I'm not talking about courses. I'm not talking about, um, you know, I don't have a course. I'm not going to do a course. I'm not, I'm not seeding this that I've, I'm going to try and feed people onto it. It's, it's not what I'm about. But there's plenty of help out there in the form of, you know, so hotel management companies, for instance, the, the, the two that we've used, one of which I definitely recommend, um, if people are, are really interested and I have recommended this guy to a number of people that are serious about getting into hotels. Um, Cause I think, I think most people that are listening to this are probably might be an unfair assumption, but most people are probably similar to me in that they want to spend their time in the finding and funding and not running. Mm. Um, that might not be the case if you're looking to maybe give up a corporate job and, and, and run a hotel and, and, and there's, you know, there's benefits to that, but, um, you know, I can recommend people that, that can, um, run hotels for you and, and Hey, you know, Google knows everything. So <laughs> type in hotel and, management and, companies. And, and as we kind of come to, towards the end of our interview and I, I made so many notes because, um, it's something I'm genuinely really, really interested in. Um, if people are kind of interested in, in working with you in any way, is, is there any way for them to do that? Are you looking for kind of more investors or is there any way, you know, that people can become a part of your business? Yeah, all of the time. So we, we're, we're constantly in that finding and funding. So, as I said earlier, we, we work with investors. We always put our own money into every deal. We always um, give security to investors that put money into our business over our own money. And we pay 12% returns on people's money. And we keep it very simple and straightforward. And, and people are welcome to get in touch and find out more. You know, there's no hard sell. Everything's backed up by proper legal documents. And, 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 and how long are sort of investors in for they parking their money for you know forever with you guys or is no, it uh, no. you know an anticipated sort of five years or how, how does that work um, we typically start with clients for a year so they'll put money into a specific project for a year we'll we'll program that money to come back out in a year and um you know the, the truth is that most clients roll their money beyond a year but they're not obliged to um we can take money from clients for for anything from one to five years. Um, but particularly when you're first starting out, we recommend that you, you give it a try for a year. Um, and then at nine months into that one year period, we'll start talking to you about repayment of those, those funds or, or moving them into maybe another hotel. So how does the 
sort of paying back the investor work are you are you refinancing the the property if you've kind of increased the value of it or are you replacing that with sort of other other investor funds or your own funds or how does the money come back out we're we're constantly refinancing so often if if an investor puts a that puts money into our hotel in Cheltenham for instance and and we agree that we're going to repay that in 12 months we will repay that in 12 months but it might not necessarily be funds that comes back out of Cheltenham yeah it might be the hotel that we bought three years ago that we added an extension on a year ago and we're now refinancing DC so we're yeah. we're constantly we, we see our business as one business but each of the hotels is is a separate business in itself i understand and and you know what you have to remember is we you know we generate one and a half million quid a month in cash flow mm. you know our, our turnover is about one and a half million quid a month so um you know we're always able to give that investor their 100 150 200 grand back yep. even if it's just out of that because and, of the size of the business now yeah 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 and we you know we'll we'll sometimes delay investment projects so refurbishment projects or extensions if we've got a number of investors to repay um we're constantly refinancing the hotels um so we're going through a number of um options at the moment we're looking at raising a bond um my business partner went out to malta to 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 meet the family office that we've got out there so it's there's 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 so much in terms of finance that is moving within our business but you can talk to any of our investors if we say we're going to repay on the 30th of august 2018 then that's what we do okay um, and if it comes to it we'll put our own money in to make sure that happens okay nick well look i'm really conscious that we've we've, we've been on the call for an hour and a half i could go oh, wow. <laughs> I know it's amazing, isn't it? But I could just carry on asking you loads of more questions, but but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you get on today. Um, if you're listening to the podcast now, um, and you, you know you're really interested in in, in um, what Nick's saying, we're going to do a couple of things. Well, firstly, Nick, how can people get in, in, in contact if they were interested in investing in uh, you know through you guys? Yeah, so that you can find me on LinkedIn. There's no S in Carlisle. You can go to shepherdcox.com or you could go to nickcarlisle.com um, or if you've got, um, yeah, or email me at, which is nick at shepherdcox.com. Okay, brilliant. Now we're going to take um, the article that we do with Nick with all of the case study details because, you know, we haven't really gone into those today, but we, we do in the, uh, in the article. And if you'd like, if you listen to the podcast, you'd like to download um, a, a copy of that article, you can do so at yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. That's yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. We'll put Nick's um, details on there as well. All of the details will obviously be in the show notes of the podcast. Um, I want to just take one minute to say a, a massive thanks to Nick. I've been meaning to catch up with him for ages and we couldn't produce our magazine without uh, the input and the time and the expertise that um, true experts in their field, real property professionals like Nick, give up to, to share their wealth of experience. So a huge thanks from me, the team at YPN, 
and everybody listening to the podcast. I think this has probably been one of the most interesting ones I've ever done. Um, Mike, who's my business partner in the magazine, we've been we've been talking about hotel investments for about the last six months. So I've been dying to do this interview. So uh, a huge thanks, Nick. And we, we really do talk. Let's not leave it so long. It's been a it's, it's been a genuine pleasure catching up today. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Ant, and thanks for everyone for for listening. It's been ninety minutes, so if you've got to the end, then uh, fair play. So, yeah. Thanks, and um, thanks for having me.